1: The Israel Report for the latest news and insights with Antony Reich.
0: Boketov, Antony, how are you?
1: Boketov, I thought that I'd start with a a snippet of news that's really good news and it's away from the war zone and it's nice sometimes to be able to talk about uh, some good things and some things that are not war related um, in these days of doom and gloom. Um, and I wanted to talk a little bit about the Israeli basketball player, Denny Abdia. He plays in the NBA for the Washington Wizards. Um, the Washington Wizards are a team that are not doing particularly well at the moment. I think they're second last in their particular conference. And they are in a rebuild process. And Denny's actually signed up to the Washington Wizards for a four year period, which is apparently worth something like $55 million to him. But yesterday, the Washington Wizards played against uh, the New Orleans Pelicans. And Danny Avdia scored 43 points in that game, which is a new record for any Israeli basketball player playing in the NBA. And the previous record was held by Omri Kaspi when he scored 36 points. So. Forty-three is well past that record, and it also passes Daniel Dia's own personal best, where he had previously scored twenty-five points uh, before, before uh, in in a in one game before yesterday's game. So obviously, forty-three um, is a, a good new record for him. That's that's well past his previous record. And um, he is a player who's really stood up for Israel during these very, very difficult days um, playing basketball, being a proud Israeli and playing basketball in an uh, arena, which is quite tough because he's come under quite a lot of uh, intense scrutiny and pressure for being an Israeli and standing up for Israel's cause in the international arena. So it's really, really nice to see him doing well personally unfortunately the wizards didn't win the game in the end they lost 133 to 126 against new orleans um but at least uh, our own player did really well and we hope that that'll help uh, the wizards to rebuild in this rebuilding process that they're going through. Anthony,
0: staying with the sports and entertainment, did you see that there are a number of um, celebrities that have uh, said that Israel needs to participate in the Eurovision this year?
1: The Eurovision, uh, yeah. I have seen that and I noticed um, the, the celebrities who signed that letter. Um, it seems really odd that because of what's going on with the war, suddenly people should come out and uh, be opposed to Israel's participation in an event like the Eurovision. Um, I also noticed, for example, in Davos, that some of the ski equipment rental companies, rental shops in Davos in Switzerland, were refusing to rent ski equipment to Jews which is a very, very strange thing. It almost feels a little bit like people calling for Israel not to participate in the Eurovision. So it is very, very heartwarming to see some of the celebrities willing to stand up and say, look, um, with all that has happened, there seems to be little justification to blame Israel and to exclude Israel from a competition like the Eurovision. Not that the Eurovision is such a big deal in the overall scheme of things, It is a bit of good entertainment and of course Israel has done well on a number of occasions in the past of the Eurovision, Um, but even so it's nice to see people willing to stand up in the international community and help Israel's cause because um, these days it seems very, very difficult and few and far between the people who are willing to stand up who are not Israelis and actually present Israel's case.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's get to some of your news stories that we wanted to talk about. Can we talk about yeah. the, the, what's happening in the north? I mean, I think that it is very much underreported and that could be part of Israel's strategy in terms of what's reported and where the focus of the news is. Um, can I, we talk about rocket barrage? I, I, I agree. And why there isn't more reporting on the rockets that are constantly going into Israel?
1: Well um i think that yesterday was certainly an escalation a further escalation on the northern border where we saw this massive barrage of rockets fired from lebanon towards israel what's interesting about the rocket fire from lebanon as opposed to the rocket fire that we saw from gaza is that the lebanese rockets the hezbollah rockets seem to be a lot more directed and a lot more accurate and yesterday's a rocket fire was no exception, because um, the rocket that ultimately got through the security cordon and managed to penetrate its target actually hit the IDF's northern command base, which is situated just outside of Tsvat. And perhaps that is one of the reasons why it's unreported, because it really did hit an IDF target, a military target, as opposed to firing indiscriminately towards any old target, including towards Tel Aviv, which of course is um, 99% civilian, rather than any military target, which is what we've seen from Gaza and from Hamas um, over the years. This time, the Hezbollah rocket seemed to be very much directed towards a military installation, and that's what it hit, which was the IDF's Northern Command just outside of Tzfat. And unfortunately, um, another uh, worrying aspect was the fact that Iron Dome failed to intercept this missile as a result of which it actually fell in the base of the IDF Northern Command mm-hmm. and um, hit a group of soldiers who were running from their barracks towards a safety area. And that just shows how important the times period is from the moment that the alarms are sounded to get moving and to get uh, to the safe areas as quickly as possible. What, what we've said about the um, uh, protection that we offer to our citizens is that we have a multi-layer protection system the first layer of which is um, a, a missile anti-missile system like the arrows which is a ballistic anti-missile system and intercepts long-range missiles and then we have the medium range um in the form of the david's Kling that uh, intercepts medium-range missiles and of course we have iron dome which intercepts relatively short-range missiles but perhaps the most important aspect of our security layer are our bomb shelters and our security rooms in our homes and in our offices and in the places where we move around. That is one of the most important aspects of our security. And to the extent that these soldiers were unfortunately unable to reach their security room before that missile hit, that is where the damage was done. And unfortunately, in the process, we lost a soldier in the form of 20-year-old Staff Sergeant Omer Benjo, um, who was on her way to the security room from uh, her barracks when the missile landed pretty much right on her uh, together with another group of soldiers who were also with her eight other soldiers were injured in the process and of course our hearts go out to the benjo family and uh, particularly to almost parents who eulogized her saying that she was just one month away from completing her compulsory military service and she'd already told her parents that she was planning to continue to serve in the army even beyond the compulsory service period because the war was not over and she felt a certain obligation a certain desire to continue to be part of the military um, setup up until such time as this war was over unfortunately that was not to be and she has become the 233rd idf soldier killed since the ground offensive began and the 570th IDF soldier killed in all when we can also include those soldiers who were killed on the October the 7th massacre and in the days that led up to the ground offensive. So a very, very heavy toll that our military has had to pay um, for this particular war and the attacks that we've had to endure, but also some quite um, important lessons for us to learn about what's happening on the Northern border and the idf did respond with substantial um, missile fire from especially from um, the israeli air force uh planes who um, attacked a number of different targets in within lebanon and um, stretching quite far into lebanese territory and there is little doubt that this certainly ratchets up the pressure that is building along the northern border And it's interesting just to watch how things are working out, because I personally feel that a war with Hezbollah soon is fairly inevitable. I can't see how that can be avoided any longer. I think that there is too much that has happened on the northern border to allow us to somehow step back. We've tried to use international negotiations to move Hezbollah away from the border with Lebanon um, some a few kilometers away from that border in order to calm the tension down Hezbollah have refused um, those attempts to move them away from the border they continue to fire anti-tank and RPG missiles over the border which they know do are very very difficult for Israel to respond to in terms of an anti-missile system we don't really have a proper response to that they do have um accurately guided missiles as we saw yesterday ones that can hit um in military installations if our anti missile systems don't function properly so we are in a very sensitive situation with regard to Hezbollah and the northern border but i think that the IDF is really trying to control the timing of when the northern border actually blows up and i think that right now um there is a lot of preparation going on within the IDF a lot of training a lot of reserve soldiers who've been put on uh rest from the war in Gaza and who have been told that they are likely to be called up again at some point in the near future. And I just wonder whether the idea is mm-hmm. not just trying to control the timing of when things blow up on the northern border.
0: Anthony, I did see some comments um, about, or an opinion, about the Security Council, the United Nations Security Council Resolution 1701. Um, do you remember that? That was done in 2006. And in, I in summary, I mean, what it calls for is a full cessation of hostilities between Israel and Hezbollah. The, the withdrawal of Israeli forces from Lebanon to be replaced by Lebanese and Unifil forces deploying to southern Lebanon and the disarmament of armed groups including Hezbollah. Why was this never implemented? And I'm, going, I'm saying going back to 2006.
1: Um, well it's a good question. I don't think that the United Nations, I mean the United Nations took upon themselves effectively They put Unifil um, there, in order to police the implementation of this resolution. And I don't think that UNIFIL are equipped to be able to do that. Um, when they say disarmament of armed groups, including Hezbollah, that's the wording from the resolution, I'm not quite sure how UNIFIL thought in, in their even the wildest dreams that they were going to have the ability to do that because the way that Hezbollah rearms uh, or arms in general um, is not necessarily open to the naked eye. It's not something that might be visible to UNIFIL sources on the ground. And to be fair, UNIFIL have shown absolutely no intention or desire to make sure that Hezbollah are disarmed. They have absolutely not uh, policed this resolution in any way shape or form of course what they do do is that every time israel potentially um, has some sort of a little misdemeanor along the border uh, in accordance with this resolution 1701 unif will jump on that right away but this whole aspect of disarming hezbollah clearly has never been implemented and that's really the most fundamental part of the resolution without disarming hezbollah you are never going to be able to um, to control the conflict on that border
0: yeah, well, let's see what happens. And uh, no, I mean, does, it does raise a question about, you know, ceasefires and, um, and the like. And I'm just thinking, I did ask somebody else earlier this morning, but I'd be very interested to know what your thoughts are in terms of are Israelis unified? in whether there should be a ceasefire or not. But, Anthony, I'm going to ask you, I mean, I'm looking at the time, Makundi's basically, he's throwing things at me to try and get my attention. It's two minutes past eight. And um, would it be possible for you to stay with us, or should we tackle this tomorrow?
1: Um, or, or not tomorrow. Or but not on tomorrow, Monday. Monday, um, because I won't. I won't be joining you. Let's 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 pick it up again on 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 Monday. Okay. My suggestion is, you know, we can talk about Israel's views on the ceasefire. I think it's an in, interesting conversation. So let's by all means put that down for Monday, and we invite listeners to jump in in the meantime and uh, let us know what their thoughts are and if they have questions, and we'll certainly pick it up on Monday.
0: Anthony Reich, thank you, as always, and uh, just stay safe. Thank you so much. That Israel report was brought to you by The Blue Agency. Your Israel property is in good hands.
1: Hi, it's Barry Cohn from The Blue Agency. Israel is currently facing one of its biggest challenges ever. All of Klal Israel is praying for the safety of our soldiers and the return of the hostages. We hope and pray that our soldiers and security forces will prevail and that they will all return home speedily and triumphant we hold the hands of our clients and friends who have children serving in tzahal who are protecting israel and jews around the world may hashem protect us all